0: Nick, am I on? All right, brother? Thank you, man. Thank you. Y'all, I'm excited uh, on two points. One, to continue on this series about facing our giants. Uh, But second, to, to finish up with defeating your discouragement because next week means we get to face a new giant. And I'm looking forward to facing him and whooping him. Amen? We need to be whooping our giants. All right? Well, we've been talking about giants, giants that hinder us. Uh, Giants that try to stand in the way of God's best, both for us and those that we love. But God wants us to know that we need to face those giants. We need to face those giants and know that whatever giant is giving you grief, God is bigger. God is bigger than any giant that you face. Now, we already looked at that giant of irrational fear. But last Sunday, we faced another giant that often defeats the very best of God's servant, God's servants. And that is the giant of discouragement. Now, when Nehemiah and the Jewish people have returned home from years of captivity, they find that the capital city, Jerusalem, is in absolute ruins. Immediately, they begin rebuilding, but they find that enemies have conspired to halt the rebuilding process. But God has empowered and encouraged Nehemiah in a mighty way and day by day, brick by brick, the walls are starting to rise again. However, at the halfway point, a fresh wave of discouragement sets in and Nehemiah realizes that his people are losing They're getting discouraged. Uh, Losing heart is the biblical way for saying that they were getting discouraged. How will Nehemiah defeat discouragement? He'll defeat discouragement in the same way you and I do. So let's reread Nehemiah chapter 4 and let's get caught up on where we are in our story. So in verse 1, So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubble? The stones that are to be burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Verse 4 Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come in their midst and kill them. And caused their work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came. That they told us ten times. From whatever place you turn. They will be upon us. Verse 13. Therefore I positioned men. Behind the lower parts of the wall. At the openings. And I set the people according to their families. And with their swords their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose. And said to the nobles. To the leaders. To the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, both great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his own work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the builders of Judah. Those who built on the wall, those who carried the burdens, those who loaded themselves so that on one hand they worked at construction, and the other one they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So Nehemiah faced this giant, we learned, in two phases. First he recognized the discouragement and second he responded to the discouragement. Last week we talked about uh, recognizing discouragement and we learned that factor one in recognizing discouragement is fatigue. We learned that if you push too hard and you push too long you're going to start producing less and less and less and soon you will drown in discouragement. See when energy runs short So does your courage. Factor two in recognizing discouragement was frustration. Halfway through the building, frustration uh, had entered into the hearts of the people and those endless mounds of rubble began to frustrate them greatly. It was weighing on Nehemiah's people. They were getting burned out. And we talked about what being burned out means. Burned out don't mean you're working too hard. Being burned out means you're working too hard at the wrong thing. Or you're working too hard, but you got the wrong motive. So you need to analyze what you're working for and the motive for which you work. Now, many believers in today's world are doing just that. Oh, they're working hard. But they're working toward the wrong thing. Or they're working toward... The wrong thing with the wrong motive. There are many people that work with all their might, with all their effort, with all their time, but they're working for the temporary things of this earth. We are called, as believers, we are called to use our resources for things that have eternal significance. Factor three in recognizing discouragement is failure. I don't have to tell you that everyone Experiences failure. But what makes the difference. Between you and another. Is how you handle. Your failure. The enemy wants you to believe. That you have no future. Beyond your failure. If you failed. You've blown it. You might as well quit. You might as well give up. But God says. When you are weak. Then I am strong. And I never fail." Now, there was a fourth factor in recognizing discouragement last week, and it was fear. Nothing derails the work of God's people like a negative word. It seems that the devil knows just when to put a negative word in your way. If you've ever tried to serve the Lord, you know this. You're prayed up. You're planned up. You're trained up, then somebody opens their mouth, spews forth a negative word, and you get fed up, and you're ready to quit. We've all been there. Negative criticism can be deadly. It can be deadly to God's people, and maybe you're dealing with it right now. Maybe you're dealing with negative criticism at work. Maybe even at home. Or worse yet, maybe you're dealing with it right here in church. Negative criticism can be deadly. Don't let the enemy discourage you from God's work by playing on your emotions. Don't let him intimidate you by playing on your emotions and causing you fear that you're not good enough. You are good enough. Because God says when you're weak, then I'm strong and I never fail. We've got God on our side. So recognizing discouragement is very important. But today we're going to move into how do I respond to discouragement? How do I respond to it? Well, the first response to, to um, recognizing and responding to discouragement is to cry out to God. Look in verse 5. Listen to the prayer of the people rebuilding this wall. Hear, O God. For we are despised. Turn our enemies' reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Don't cover their iniquity. Don't let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before us, the builders. And then also, look in verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them both day and night. This morning... I am going to give you a radical suggestion. Y'all ready? Say amen if you're ready. Radical suggestion. Here we go. The next time that you encounter a major setback in your life, I want you to reverse your normal procedure. I want you to cry out to God first instead of last. Amen? How many of you have heard or how many of you have said, I've tried everything, now all I can do is pray? Do you see a problem with that? Friend, don't wait till last to look up. Start by looking up. When discouragement comes, start at the top and work your way down. Immediately go to the Lord. Immediately begin asking him to help you to sort through all the junk, to sort through all the issues. Say, Lord, I've got to talk to you. I've got to talk to you right now. There is this stuff going on in my life I don't understand it all but I know I'm having a big problem with it. I need to tell you about it. See sometimes we just need to let go. Be like a child and go talk to daddy about the things that are besetting us. Cry out to God and make it your first step not your last. Here's a second response. Continue the work that God has given you. Look there in verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined up to half its height. For the people, get this, the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. Why is it that our immediate reaction when problems come up on us is to quit? Does anybody have an answer to that? I don't know why any time that something comes against me, I just say, you know what? I'm quitting. I don't need this. I'm fed up. I don't need this anymore. I'm just quitting. People leave churches. People leave and quit their jobs. People abandon their marriages. All because, get this, all because they come to this predictable season of discouragement. See, discouragement comes to us all. It's predictable, friend. You know it's coming. So when it comes, don't be all scared. Don't get all worried. Don't threaten to quit or abandon your work. That's the worst thing you could do. Why is it the worst thing you could do? Because get this. Emotions make horrible advisors. Did y'all hear that? Emotions make horrible advisors. But Satan knows that if he can play on our emotions, if he can get us to quit, then maybe he might keep God's work from moving forward. But look at Nehemiah. He and his people were losing heart. Oh man, they were getting really discouraged. But they never let down their cement travel. They never stopped They didn't miss a beat, laying one brick on top of the next one. That is kept on in spite of the fact that they were losing heart. He knew that the people had to keep on keeping on in spite of the obstacles that stood in the way. And I like what verse 6 said. How did they do that? Verse 6 said the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. There wasn't nothing going to keep them from working. They were going to keep on doing the work of God. See, Nehemiah knew that the main thing was to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? We need to learn that too. What is the reason that we're doing what we're doing? Nehemiah knew that the people didn't need to bail. They needed to build. The people didn't need to walk. Man, they needed to work. Because they had a mind to work. We too need a firm grasp on what God is calling us to do here. Make disciples of all nations. We need a firm grasp on what God has called us to do. And friends, we need to put on the blinders. And keep on keeping on. No matter what our emotions might say. I've learned that discouragement always has a way of working itself out if I'll just keep on working, if I'll continue the work that God has called me to do. Now, there's a third response that I find here, and that is we need to start concentrating on the big picture. Look in verse 13. Nehemiah says, therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall and at the openings, and I set people according to their families with swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. You see, each family was responsible for that section of the wall that was in front of their house. That was their job to build the wall that was right there in front of them. But that turned out to be part of the problem. They were so separated from one another that they began to get discouraged. They were so separated from one another they couldn't communicate. They couldn't encourage each other. And that's what happens when you miss church a lot. You distance yourself from those who want to encourage you. You distance yourself from those who want to communicate with you and identify with you. So make sure that we're staying at the job. Make sure that you're doing a work for another person because somebody needs you today. You wake up and you don't feel like coming. You say, well, you know what? I don't feel like coming, but I bet you Bill does. Bill needs me to come today. Maybe my Sunday school teacher needs me to come today. My friend, she needs me to come today. Make sure that we're concentrating on the big picture. But all these folks could see is that own hole. Their own hole in the wall and their own pile of rubble that was in front of their house. That's all they could see. Don't we do the same thing? Sometimes we reduce the whole world to this little sphere that I work in think about it. What you need to know, what you need to do is you need to realize that what you do in church, what you do as a Christian is a part of a much larger picture. You may see nothing but monotonous labor. You may say, man, another Sunday school class. I gotta leave these kids another Sunday school class. Another Opportunity to listen to Chad Hall sing. Oh my Lord, bless me. What a blessing. At least for you, brother, right? Amen. You may see nothing but monotonous labor, but God is always busy doing something in you, doing something with you, and doing something for you. And get this doing something for others. So we have to concentrate on the big picture. As Christians, we need to learn to see the view from where Jesus is sitting. What's it look like from the throne of grace? What's it look like where the Lord is looking down and seeing Bethel Baptist Church? When you're discouraged, friend, and your hope is running a little bit thin, you've got to remember that you are part of something that is much bigger than yourself this thing that we call church is not all about an individual in fact this that we do and you have to keep this in mind that you, that what you're doing is part larger than even the church you're a part of it's much larger than this than this one church when you learn to see the worldwide kingdom of God, the big picture, instead of just your little corner of it, you'll be greatly encouraged. How can you say that, Bill? Well, I believe that in this corrupt and perverse generation that we're living in, I believe that God's people are making a difference. The news wants to tell us that we're not making a difference. I believe that God is making a difference through his people. How do you know that, Bill? Well, did you know that every week over 102 million people go to church? 102 million? Are you kidding me? That is a lot of people. In contrast to that, Approximately 94 million fans go to professional baseball, basketball, and football games each year. So what should that say to me and you? It should say that more people attend church in one week than all the people that go to professional baseball, basketball, and football in a whole year. So the next time That someone comes up to you and says, oh, if people were just as passionate about their church as they were about their ball team. You just remind them that church pews are 50 times more popular than stadium seats. 50 times. God's people are making a difference. God is making a difference. It's just all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of the big picture now there is a fourth response that we need to uh, place in our lives when we're faced with discouragement and that is claim the encouragement of God's promises there in verse 14 you heard it Nehemiah said do not be afraid of them remember the Lord great and awesome when you're discouraged don't you walk run Run to the word of God. You may say something, say something like, Bill, you know what? I just don't have the heart for it today. Or Bill, uh, I'm just too low to read the Bible today. But that's exactly my point. That's exactly when you need it the worst. When your heart is in need of a transfusion of hope and power, you've got to go to the source. Go to the source and may be made hopeful and powerful. I think what God's people need to learn is the principle of force-feeding. We need to force-feed ourselves. We need to get the book down, open it up, sit yourself down, tune your mind in, and start reading the Word of God out loud. When you're down... If you will force feed yourself the word of God, you will be encouraged, my friend. Don't wait for feelings. Just do it. Just do it. You see, you can act your way into feeling a whole lot easier than you can feel your way into acting. Just do it. Get the word down and start feeding yourself with encouragement. Paul touched on this in Galatians chapter 6. He wrote to those believers, he said, Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not, and here it is again, do not lose heart. See, you may be out visiting the sick. You may be leading a life group. You may be teaching your children. You may be teaching someone else's children. You may be sharing your faith in Christ. You may be praying for those in need. But if you're serving Christ with all your heart, remember the promise of God. In due season, you shall reap if you don't get discouraged. If you don't, Get discouraged. Don't lose heart. Maintain the proper perspective about whom you're serving. I think sometimes that's where we blow it. We forget who we're serving. We say, oh, I'm I'm serving Brother Bill. I'm serving the church. I'm serving my class. No. You're serving God. Don't forget who you're serving. But also keep your perspective about why you're serving. Are you you serving? Am I preaching so that I can fill these pews? Sorry, sir. Sorry, ma'am. That's not why I'm preaching. I'm preaching so that those that are here will be spiritually encouraged and lifted up and will apply the truth of God to their lives and make a difference out there, not in here. I got to pay attention to why I'm serving. But I also need to keep a perspective about how God plans to reward those who serve. He's the one that's going to reward. As much as I get rewarded by by sharing the word with you, this is not my reward. My reward is yet to come. As a teacher, as as teaching children, as leading a life group, whatever you're doing, visiting the sick, praying for those in need, friend, you need to remember where your reward is coming from. Now there's a fifth and final response today and this is, Maybe the biggest one, and that is carry someone else's burden. Later on in chapter 4, we come to something that's very moving. The people were beginning to come together as a team. Let's read about it there in verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us, say all of us, all of us returned to the wall and everyone, say everyone, and everyone to his work. So it was that from that time on, that half of my servants worked at the construction while the other half held spears and shields and bows and wore armor and the leaders were behind them all who were in the house of Judah, those who built on the wall, those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they could work at the construction, and with the other hand they held a weapon. The people came together with a singular focus. They came together with a singular focus, and as a result, every one of them was willing to do whatever it took to finish the wall. Some were carrying, some were guarding, some were building. All of them were wearing swords. But they finally understood that to finish well, to finish this wall well, they were going to have to help one another. They need to watch each other's back. They realized that they were going to have to help the weaker ones carry the loads. They realized that they were going to have to help the shorter ones reach the top of the wall. They realized that they were going to have to fill in for those who were older. They were going to help, have to help those who were more weary. They realized that they were going to need to carry one another's burdens. Man, that giant of discouragement, he'll try to cut you off from carrying somebody else's burden every time. This giant often makes us focus on ourselves. This giant of discouragement often makes us have a little pity party. This giant of discouragement often causes us to lose our perspective about what's really important. You know, I cannot count the times that I have been the lowest of the low I have been so discouraged but I chose by an act of my will not of my emotions because I didn't feel like it but I chose to go visit somebody in the hospital by an act of my will I chose to go visit somebody in the nursing home man i just tell you this going in I didn't feel like I had anything to offer them But coming out, man, I had been overwhelmingly blessed. Why is that? Why is that? The reason is, is because our own burdens become lighter when you begin to carry the burdens of other people. I have been lifted out of that spirit of discouragement more times than I can count. Why? Why? Because I chose to lift and carry somebody else's burden. So do you need encouragement right now? My best advice is that you go encourage somebody else. Are you caught up in your own needs? We all get that way. What do you do about it? go fill the needs of somebody else and you'll be launched out of that spirit of discouragement. Some of us get so busy with our own needs. We get so busy with the the needs of our own family that we forget that God has called us to share the burdens of the whole team. The whole team. You know, Jesus had this mentality. In Mark chapter 10, he said, For even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Many. Jesus took his service to the ultimate. He paid a price that I could never pay. I think that's good news it's good news for me it's good news for you because in first corinthians chapter 15 we learn that paul said i declare to you the gospel the, the good news which i preached to you which also you received and which also you stand by which you also are saved if you hold fast to the word which i preached to you unless you believed in vain For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that's good news. It's good news that Jesus carried my burden. He carried my sin burden all the way to the cross where that price was paid. He carried my burden so that I could become a part of the family of God and he's done the same for you. We need to follow his example of carrying others' burdens. How do I become a part of the family of God? All I must do is wholeheartedly believe what Jesus accomplished for me on that cross. And commit the rest of my life, the entirety of my life, to living for him. When I do that, when I take that step, I find that he places me in his body, the church. So that I can serve him for the rest of my life. In the scripture that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he summed all this up. This burden carrying mentality where he said that Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again the life you live is no longer your own don't be discouraged remember who you serve remember why you serve, and remember how you're going to be rewarded because of how you serve. So maybe Bethel Baptist Church is the place where God has chosen you to serve. During our decision time, that's an opportunity for you to do that. Perhaps you realize that Jesus has carried my sin burden. But up until now, I haven't believed it. I want to place my faith in Christ today. During this decision time, you can make that decision as well. Whatever the Lord has laid on your heart, whatever prayer concerns need to be lifted, I want to encourage you to come. Let us pray. Father God, we just think you're amazing. Not only because of all that you've created, but because of all that you've done in our lives in us for us and through us Father I pray that you would help us in times of our discouragement Lord that we would cry out to you Lord that we would be willing to concentrate on the the larger picture of life that Lord in Jesus name you would do a remarkable work through us as we carry one another's burdens. Jesus, thank you for carrying our burden. And Lord, for those that are ready to make decisions this morning, Father, we give you the glory in advance because we know that you've already been speaking with them. So Lord, you guide them. Lord, you you help them. And Lord, if there's a step of faith that needs to be taken, give them the courage, encourage them to do that. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus today. And all God's people say, amen. Please stand. We're standing.